Welcome to the North Brevard Church of Christ podcast. I'm Doug Hunter, one of the elders. We hope that this podcast makes our sermons and Bible studies more accessible. I'll go now, huh? We started 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but it's been a little while. So just remember that the, that the church in Thessalonica has had issues, okay? Paul shows up on the scene and he starts to preach the gospel and before long, they get run out. And after they get run out of town, what happens? Some of the prominent members of the new church get surrounded. To the point to where in Acts we find out that one of the prominent brothers has to go out and literally pay the crowd off to leave. And that's where we're at, at this point, in our study in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2. We went through verses 1 and 2 already in the last one. So we're going to start in verse 3, because 1 and 2 was a lot about the history that I just summarized for you very quickly. Let's go ahead and get into it. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So. Before we move on in that scriptures, I wanted to tell you about something you've probably heard. It's a saying that I've heard for a long time in my life, and it's a saying that I live by. Um, and I try to tell people this when they're choosing friends, when you're trying to decide if somebody's really your friend or not, if they really have the best interests out for you or not. It's simple, really. A friend does not always tell you what you want to hear. A friend tells you what you need to hear. There's a huge difference. There's a lot of people in the world who even if you're driving off a cliff is going to tell you out of flattery that it's a good idea. But your real friends are going to warn you that the cliff is ahead and you're heading in the direction of it. It might not always be the fun thing. It might not always be the easy thing. It might not always make your relationship great. But a friend is always going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And Paul says, we didn't come in to this situation and tell you what you wanted to hear. We didn't come in and tell you things that, were, that, was, that was going to seem to make your life easier. In fact, what happened? The second Paul told them the gospel, the second they begin to follow the gospel, Paul gets chased out of town and they're left there fending for themselves. And the town is so aggravated about this new church, about this new gospel movement that they surround the members. This is a scary situation. Could you imagine if that happened here? It'd be scary. 
If a major portion of Tysville decided to descend upon North Brevard as we were in the middle of services and surround us as if they're not going to let us out, as if we're the plague of the city. He also says, we didn't do it out of greed. We weren't looking for people just because they had money. We weren't looking for ways, (coughs) excuse me, to just simply make money. Paul likes to bring that up a lot. As we all know, Paul was a tent maker. Paul did not, (coughs) excuse me, completely receive what he lived off of just based on the church. (coughs) Colossians 3 kind of echoes this point (coughs) that Paul is making. He says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. <coughs> Excuse me. And there is no partiality. Remember that when we come here, the things that we're doing, they're not for the glory of men. When we get up here and we teach, which many of us besides just me and Mike teach, it's not just for the glory of men. It's not just so people in the congregation will look at you and go, hey, man, you're a pretty good teacher. It's for God. This is an important concept because in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which we'll be studying 2nd Thessalonians after 1st Thessalonians, that's one of the main contexts of the scripture. Let your life become glory to God. That's hard to do if every time you speak, it's to flatter someone. That's hard to do if every time you say something, it's to try to receive money from someone. That's hard to do if you're actually not seeking to glorify God. You can get in the way of what God is doing through you. We can get in the way of what God is doing through North Brevard. Who are you looking to glorify? Work as if we're not working for men, as if we're not working for each other in this church, but as if we are working for God himself. I wonder how much different we would all act if God was standing right beside us every single day and every single moment. He's within us and we all know that, but it's easy to disregard that. It's easy to overlook that. But if he was physically standing beside us, how much different might our life be? Let's keep it moving. Verse 6. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. (coughs) Because you had become 
very dear to us. Look what he says after this. Whoa. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses and God also, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, this is really important, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and what's that word glory so let's start with the top part what's Paul saying how long was Paul in Thessalonica not for very long let's just keep it simple not for very long how long did he know the people that he was ministering to in Thessalonica not for very long. It didn't take very long. I think three weeks, three Sabbaths. You can go back and check me on that. Before they decided Paul had to go. So, if it was only three weeks, what is Paul saying? He's saying, we loved you Like nursing mothers taking care of their own children. Who's Paul? He's an apostle. He's one of the very leaders of the church. One of the few most important leaders of the church. Who are the people he's ministering to? People he just met. What kind of love does he have for them? Well, according to him, the love of a mo- that a mother has for her, her child. It is up to us. First, let's talk about it from the leadership standpoint. It is up to us as leaders to love the congregation as our own. As our own. If your child needs something, what do you do? You will get it. And you will get it by any means necessary. That's what you do. (coughs) If your child's screaming in the middle of the night, which, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) lucky for me, I still have one even though he's well past one that still wakes up all the time in the middle of the night screaming, what do we do? Tell them to roll over? No. (coughs) We get up in the middle of our sleep and we serve him until he's calmed down and went back to sleep himself. We are deprived of sleep at the Robinson house right now. But we don't care. We make that really clear. We are deprived of sleep for now over a year and a half. We have not had one night so far that Jacob has slept through the night. Not one. Not one. 
We are deprived of sleep and we don't care. Because he's our child. What, about, what does he say after that? Like a father with his children, we exhorted, encouraged, and charged you. We exhorted, encouraged, and charged you. Exhorted and encouraged, that's the easy part, right? We encouraged you, we admonished you, we, 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 we pushed you along even in times where you couldn't find the strength to push yourself. We encouraged you even in times where you were down. But charged. That's different. Now, what does charge mean? Does it mean that because Paul was a leader in the church, he told people where to go and what to do? Is that what Paul did? Is that what the scripture says right here? Paul didn't tell people where to go and what to do. He told people to live godly lives that glorify God. How did he do that? Through words? Yes, of course through words. But how else? By the way he treated them like fathers and mothers loving their children. By the way he moved in and did not speak in words of flattery. He did not, he did not look for ways of making money and, and being greedy with the congregation that he was starting. But also, by the way he lived himself. By the way he lived himself. He was available. We have to be available to each other. And as a leader, he was not burdensome. Now, if anybody had the right to lean on the people that he served, it would have been Paul. And there were many times that he writes through scripture that people helped him tremendously. He writes about it through lots of things. He goes through health issues. He goes through different types of struggles all over the place. People are helping him. But he tried not to be a burden. Here's a couple of scriptures that might help a little bit. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 12, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You know, this is possible for any of us. This is possible for the strongest of us to the weakest of us. It is possible for us to go through a bad time, to go through a challenging time, to go through a time where we doubt, where we struggle, where we're not sure that everything we've lived for up to this point is really what we should have been living for. It's possible. I've talked about this many times. 
But one of the times for me was shortly after I graduated college, shortly after I got the job here. One of the hardest times in my life happened before I even knew you guys all that well. And it was certainly a, a trying time for me and my family when Amy's sister died. And we certainly went through our time of doubt and anger and, and confusion over why this was happening and, 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 and why God would, would be this loving, kind, gracious, you know, slow to anger, all, all those concepts, right? Why he would still allow this to happen. It's the same thing we all go through when unexpected loss hits us. Now, I don't consider myself to be the strongest Christian in the room. But I certainly can tell you from a young age, for my age, I've always been a strong Christian. I don't claim to be the most perfect person in the room either. But I can tell you from a young age, I was much more obedient to God's word than many of my peers because I cared about it, because it meant something to me, because it just wasn't words on a page and, and deep philosophy. It was really God's word to me. And in that moment, for really about a year after, I was depressed. Amy was depressed. I went through almost a full degree in psychology, and when it happens to you, you know how much you realize you're depressed? You don't really. Until you realize, oh, you know, maybe I haven't taken a shower as much as I used to, or, or maybe I'm wanting to sleep more than I used to, or, or maybe I'm a lot grumpier than I usually am. I struggle with even if I had made the right decision, even if I had made the right decision to be in ministry, did I make the right career choice? Not just, does God really love me? But did I even make the right career choice? And for a little bit of time during that time, I was thinking about leaving. And I'm going to tell you, for some of you in this room, if it wasn't for some of you, I probably would have. If it wasn't for the strength and the faith of my family, I probably would have. Amy's dad was a deacon of the church at Rockledge, which we grew up going to. He just started going back to church last year. This can happen to anybody. In fact, I think it happens in little spurts quite often. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times we come to church because we think there's an obligation to be here. And you know what? I think there is actually an obligation to be here. The scripture says, do not forsake the assembly. I do think there's an obligation to be here. I don't think God's up there taking attendance. Don't get me wrong. 
But I think there's an obligation to be here. But sometimes I think that's why we come. We think our obligation is to come, sing a handful of songs, take the Lord's Supper, right? Hear a lesson from God, from God's Word, and, and move on. And we fulfilled our obligation. Man, church is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. I bet if I asked you to raise your hands right now, if there was ever a time where you might have fallen away and somebody from your church brought you back to your senses, talked you out of the poor choices you were making or, or the way to corruption that you were sowing in your life, I bet almost everybody in here would raise their hand. I know I would. But yet so much, when we talk about church, we talk about it from the perspective of me. And we don't talk about it from the perspective of us. You ask people, hey, what can we do? Well, this could be better, or this could be better. And we're not thinking about, if I show up, how's he going to make it better? I said this the other night when I was teaching Wednesday night class. You know, there's, there's a lot of conversation that didn't happen because there's a lot of people that aren't there. And that's not to call anybody out who doesn't come on Wednesday night. It's just the reality. That the more people you have in a room when you're discussing something, the more opportunity we all have to learn. Because everybody looks at things from a little bit different angle. First Timothy 5. Starting verse 1 says, do not rebuke, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Why is that? The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is is love. That issue, issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Man, do you realize that one of the most important things that we can do, think about this. One of the most important things that we can do as members of the church is love each other. You realize that? Greatest commands, right? How do you get around them? How do you get around them? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What's the second greatest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. In these two laws, you will fulfill the entire law. In these two commands, you will fulfill the entire law. What's the significance of both? Love. So getting back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, 
the word of God. Which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And drove us out. And displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. That they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Is the scripture the word of God? When we study the scripture, do we study it as if it really is the word of God? When we apply it to our lives, do we apply it to our lives as if it really is the word of God? You know, I have been stunned in a little over 15 years of ministry to find out how many people who come to church regularly look at the Bible as a flawed historical document that has really good, for the most part, philosophies. Is it the Word of God? See, here's the thing, and this is why it's so important, because culture is going to challenge in many different ways through all of our lives, and many of us have already experienced it who have lived for a little while. <coughs> culture is always going to challenge the Word of God. And if it's not the Word of God to you, when culture makes it difficult, when it becomes difficult in your own life, it's not going to be what guides your ship. It's not going to be what you hold on to. It's not going to be what makes you who you are. It, just like everything else, will get tossed to the side for whatever you're doing at the moment or however you're thinking at the moment. And that's what you find with the very people who should have, one, recognized the prophets, two, recognized Jesus as the Messiah, and three, then recognized the apostles. But what did they do? What did the ones who had the scripture, who knew the scripture the most, we talk about it all the time, right? By the time you were basically in fifth grade, there's a whole country of people who were supposed to know the first five books of the Bible. Not know it like, yeah, the Ten Commandments are in Exodus. No, have it memorized. That's how serious their education was on the Word of God. But it became philosophy. If you read through the Old Testament and you really dive into the prophets, and trust me, I know, one of the favorite things we skip over 
in Scripture, especially, is the minor prophets. We like Jonah. We teach out of Jonah. It's good VBS material. But a lot of the minor prophets, we don't read. Even some of the major prophets, we don't read because they're challenging. Because we don't always understand everything in it, right? <laughs> Who's God? Who's Magog? But what you find in those scriptures, what you find in those passages of God's word is godly people turning their backs on God and worshiping other gods. What you find is the temple being desecrated by those who are supposed to maintain the temple. By day, they're collecting the money and, and making sure they're getting all the money and all the value of the nation. But by night, they're doing all kinds of things. That, you just wouldn't believe. And you fast forward to where Jesus is, born. And you've got wise men from far off who see all the signs and go looking for the Messiah and the whole people of God are right there in the midst of them and nobody else is looking for them. There's one guy who's looking for him, right? King Herod. He looking for him to praise the Messiah? He going to worship the Messiah? Of course not. And it's easy to read these things and, 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 and it can sound even like anti-Semitic, right? It can sound like, like you're trashing the Jews. This is God's people. Don't miss this. God's people were not just the Jews. God's people were not just the Israelites. God's people had spread out. There were many people from many cultures. Think about Acts chapter 2. How many cultures were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? How many different languages are listed in Acts chapter 2? This is God's people. We're supposed to know God's word, but they're not treated like God's word. What about us? 1 Corinthians 1, one of my favorite passages, because every time I start to doubt God's word, this is a scripture that brings me back. It writes my ship. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the last part of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. It says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. Paul wanted to come again and again. Right? He had to leave in haste. 
He had to stay away. The church got in some, in some tough spots. Of course they wanted to come back. But Satan hindered us. What does that mean? But Satan hindered us. Let me finish reading it and then we'll get into that a little bit. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What's he saying right there? Remember how we were just talking earlier about living a life that glorifies God? You are my glory. What does that mean? It means that the ministry that we do here at North Brevard, the lives that are being changed, the lives that are being healed and mended, the lives that are being turned away from the culture of the world and back to the culture of the cross. You are our glory. Not our glory, not to be lifted up on a pedestal over you, but your life glorifies God. which makes our work glorify God, which makes our lives glorify God. But Satan can hinder us. I was thinking of this scripture. Most of you probably know it. It's a scripture that I'm not going to say I have full grasp on. But this isn't the first time we saw a power of evil, if you will, Hinder something godly. Look what it says in Daniel. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. I'm just going to stop there. Because what do you find? You find for 21 days. He, he's 21 days late. Showing up to talk to Daniel. What do you find in 2 Thessalonians? I mean 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul wants to come back to Thessalonica over and over and over again, but he can't. What's the importance of that? There is power in evil. There is power in evil. Now, before we get carried away on that, let's get to the take-homes. First one is this, Paul was able to develop a deep and meaningful relationship despite the chaos and persecution that surrounded his very short amount of time in Thessalonica. That is true. 
And that is what we have to do here at North Brevard. With all the different people that walk in from all the different walks of life that they come from, from all the different stories and, and baggage and, and history that come, everybody who comes in, we have to, in a short amount of time, develop a relationship with them. Not a basic, generic relationship, not just based on who, um, who we're uh, attracted to, and I don't mean like physically attracted to, I just mean who we're drawn to, but to everyone. You know, church studies will show you over and over and over again, this is not a secret, this is not new, that you have a very short time to make an impression on someone before they go find another church. This should be part of all of our goal. This should be part of all of our ministry. To get to know the people that come in. No one should ever walk through those doors and feel like a stranger. Or feel like somebody who just doesn't fit in. No one. Look, my age group at this church kind of has it the toughest. There's very few of us. And even with that being said, no one my age or around my age should come in and feel like they can't fit in. We've been talking about that on Wednesday night too. It's always the responsibility of the mature to reach out to the immature. It's always the responsibility of the older to reach down to the younger. It doesn't work the other way. At least not commonly. <coughs> Paul does this in a very short amount of time, which is why he's the most amazing missionary the world has ever seen. Which is why everywhere he goes... He plans a church. If you think it's because he was the best preacher in town, don't forget one of the times he preached, someone fell asleep, fell out the window and died. And he didn't even get the hint. He went down, resurrected that poor kid, and then said, get back up there. I'm not done. Take home number two. Church was not and is not designed to bring us together just for the purpose of formal worship to God. Is that an important aspect? Sure. But is that the only aspect? Not at all. Okay? We do formal worship two hours on Sunday. And if you want to count Wednesday night Bible study as formal worship, which I would say probably nobody in leadership would count that as formal worship. But if you wanted to, that's three hours. How many hours are in a week? I didn't do the math. One. Carry the, tell me what it is. Seven times 24, Damon. 168. That's why I'm still in the youth class. They're smart. <coughs> 168 hours, what's three into 168? A very small percentage, let's just leave it at that. It's a very small percentage of your life, it's a very small percentage of your week. If that's what it's all based on, God actually requires a very small percentage of you. Is that what the scriptures say? God just wants a very small percentage of you? God died for you, so he can have a very small percentage of you? 
Your life is not your own. It was bought with a price, right? That doesn't sound like a very small percentage of you to me. The church is the family of God. We come to love and be loved. We come for encouragement and for counsel. We come to keep our hearts soft. This is extremely important. We come to keep our hearts soft as the world through sin and deceit tries to harden it every single day. From the youngest to the oldest. That's what we come for. Number three. Don't forget this. Evil is hard at work trying everything in its power to slow us down. But remember, we cannot be stopped. But we can be slowed down. Evil cannot stop the love of God, but it can slowly turn something hot into lukewarm. And what did God say in Revelation about a lukewarm church? I will spit it out my mouth. Where are we at? Listen, I actually started preaching through 1 Thessalonians thinking, this would be nice and feel good and easy. And it is. But it's also really challenging. Because God is not asking for a small percentage of you. He's asking for all of you. That doesn't mean he expects you to live at church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But he expects you to be the church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And the only way you're going to do that is if you take him at his word. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only by the name of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. Have you been washed in the blood? We do that through baptism. Have you had your sins forgiven, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling inside of you, literally going with you everywhere you go, helping you discern, helping to guide your path? For those of us who have, are we giving them a small percentage? Or are we giving them everything? Because what he's looking for is everything. If you have a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing.